The year is 1890. The place, Boston. An evil force continues to seep into our world, corrupting and conquering all who touch it. Our four brave adventurers foiled its mysterious plans twice, bringing Jack the Ripper to justice and stopping it from unleashing panic from an ancient tomb. But now our four heroes have evil's full attention. Can they keep this force from holding illimitable dominion over all? Find out as they face the Red Death. I think the first thing I'm going to do is check on Beatrice. Beatrice is on the ground. Um, she's rolled over so that her, her face is buried into the carpet. Her hand's still over her eyes and she's shaking. Uh, I'm going to gently touch her on the shoulder and say, it's over now. At least this part is. She gulps and she says, can you lead me out of here? I can do my best. You look up and you see the front door to your house ahead of you. That seems hopefully safer. Um, granted, like, if we were to have to face evil William, I would probably enjoy that. <laughs> Agnes would enjoy punching William. Um, is everybody else pick, picked up? Like, are they all? Is everyone, are we ready to go? Yeah. I think I think as soon as you know she, um, she's gone. I'm going to check on the guys, and make sure that they're okay. Well, we're we we haven't moved. Can we move? <sighs> yeah, you can move. Okay. As soon as the mom went down, you were able. Okay, that's what I, that's what I figured. Uh, James is not well, <laughs> so James looks pretty beat up. Come here, James. James hobbles over. She just puts a hand on the side of his cheek and cure wounds. Guess he's <laughs> out of spells, this person. But you get 12 healing. Okay, I'm <laughs> up to 18. I think six is the lowest James has ever been. So Agnes, Beatrice is clinging to you and keeping her eyes closed because she knows she doesn't want to see what's around her. So you're going to have to do all of the moving for both of you for now. Cool. I will keep a firm kind of arm around her and lead her forward. Okay. So as you get to the door and you put your hand on the handle, you notice that the handle is incredibly cold. Like like ice cold? Yes. Like almost pain well, painful to the touch cold. Um I'm going to look to Ignacia, not at the door and say that that's very cold to the touch. Is that something that we should be worried about? Probably, and she's going to... Ignacia's going to open it for them. Okay. So as you put your hand on the handle, you feel like you're just grabbing the coldest piece of ice you ever touched. Mm -hmm. Like plunging your hand into, like, icy water. Mm -hmm. And you open the door, and it's the sitting room of the Han residence, which you know well, but everything is covered in ice. And William is sitting in a chair there, completely stoic, 
surrounded by ice with this blizzard swirling around him. Beatrice says, William, darling, William, as you all step through the door and she opens her eyes instinctively to this cold and sees it. Um, and all of you take two points of cold damage. So the way this is gonna work mechanically is this is a skill challenge where you are trying to get William to speak to her. Um, and each failure is gonna mean two points of cold damage to all of you. Are we starting back from the top or is this continued skill challenge from before? Uh, starting back from the top. Okay. So uh, everybody just give me a quick initiative to see what order people are going in. My initiative is higher now, yay. <laughs> Mine's three. Oh no. Okay. Synthetic 20. 18. 22. All right, so Finn, you're up first. Okay, I think I'm going to kick it off with perception. Okay. Um, you said the goal was to get him to talk to her? Yes. I'm going to try to see if there's anything I can see in this place that's helpful in a non-magical sense to disrupt this blizzard. Okay. I don't know, 15 on the die, plus 4, 19. Okay. Um, so you look around you, and you see that the blizzard seems to be centered on him. Uh, you don't know if that's going to be helpful, but he seems to be the center of it. It seems likely to you with a roll of 19 that you're not going to be able to stop it. That You just have to learn how to work around it. Okay. James, you're up. And if you aren't happy with any of your skills, you can always use that to give another player uh, advantage on their on their check. You can choose which one. It doesn't just have to be Ignacia who's next in the order. Um, I'm going to give Agnes an advantage because James, I don't think, has ever... I mean, James hasn't met most people within the circle, hasn't met... I mean, he, his knowledge of the Hans or Beatrice or anyone is very limited, so I don't I don't think that he has much to offer, So, I'm, uh, but I don't know how that... Okay. You know, I want to give advantage to someone who has that knowledge. Okay, so what are you doing to support her? How do you how do you behave supportively? By uh, um, standing close and saying, you can do it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, right. Just by being close uh, in proximity to Agnes and kind of just so that, it, that, that she knows that James is there supporting and is there to, I guess, just just there yeah okay all right ignacia you're up okay um so i'm going to cast a arcana check to see if i can find the origin of i'm going to see um cast arcana to see if there is a like a off switch for this or how we can disrupt this blizzard or anything like that because i know it's, i know it's magical in nature okay Ooh, so that's a 25. Oh, great. Was that a natural 20? No, it was a 16. Okay. Great. So you look around, and like everything else here, you are convinced that this is a product of Beatrice's mind, that this isn't really William, that this is the Red Death playing on her fears surrounding William. And so perhaps allaying her fears 
might be a way to help and to work around this in order to make him, make her projection of him into something that she doesn't think is as cold. Okay. Can I turn to her and ask her something? Sure. Uh, Ignacio's gonna see that and then think about it and then look to her and she's like, what, what are you so worried about? She says, he's so preoccupied. I'm, I'm worried that it'll be like this, that he'll just be cold and that I'll be all alone. Agnes, you're up and you have an advantage. A success is a success, but a failure is two failures. Got it. Yikes. Um, so I am going to go walk up to William and stand in front of him. Uh, and I want, so the, what I'm aiming for here is that this is going to be a persuasion role. Um, I'm going to use a voice that I am sure Beatrice has probably heard me say to use on William a million times before, which is kind of the like, the like, you, you were in sh deep shit voice. Um, and you, if you don't pay attention to me, I'm going to make your life a living hell. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just stand in front of him and say, William, look at me. Okay. 15 altogether. Okay. Was that with advantage? Uh, no, that was, I forgot. Uh, whoa. Okay. Second time was a natural 20. Great. So you say, as you say this, the ice surrounding him cracks and you see his eyes start to float up towards you. And you remember something that Beatrice told you a long time ago, which is that she doesn't think that there's anyone he respects as much in the world, as much as he respects you. Mm. And it occurs to you that your being there to be able to tell him when he's wrong is a way of reminding her that you'll always be there to tell him when he's wrong. If he's behaving poorly, even 10 years down the road, he'll still respect you enough to listen to you. Mm -hmm. And Finn, you're up. All right. So because Agnes is confronting her brother and Finn is uncomfortable with family um, in general, like that type of stuff, he just never had had one. So he, he's leave, he, instantly he's like wants to be away from that encounter. So he finds himself awkwardly standing next to Beatrice for the first time in this entire situation. And he looks over at her and he, it occurs to him that he might be able to convince her, but it's not convincing her in like persuasion. He's going to trick her into approaching William and like, like he's lying to her basically saying like the only way that to end this is if, if she approaches him and like uh, uh, embraces him. Okay. Like, she has to take the reins. She can't just be a spectator in this anymore. Okay. So I'm going to deceive her. And I have a plus six to that. So that's a 22. Nice. Okay, good. So she says, do you think so? He'll, he'll listen to me? Oh, I absolutely know so. And she takes a few steps forward and sort of braces herself against the cold as she starts to move towards him. James, you're up. Is there anything in the room that would kind of be representative of something that would distract him? Something James could break in a, you know, 
uh, how would you want to look for that? So if you make the check, then I guess perception. Okay, great. Looking around, see, I mean, hopefully he's heard just enough talk to kind of know what what William does, and that's his name, right, William? Yep. Just blinked. What William does and could identify something that would be representative to Beatrice as a distraction. Uh, but a four is not going to get me there. Four is not going to get you. So you look around, and whatever force is, is driving this on feels you searching for the one thing to break it all and the winds whip up and you feel these shards of ice and snow and cold tear into all of you and each of you takes two points of cold damage. Ignacia, you're up. All right. Um, so knowing how she feels and feeling like she's going to be, and is, is the skill check just in things we're proficient and or have expertise. Okay. So it's just this. Okay trying to see what works because you know when you specialize you specialize really well and you're like how does this work in this situation <laughs> yep i'm going to use perception to see if there is something that can show that he that can sort of break the facade of this icy demeanor that she's projecting about william mm-hmm. maybe there's like one flaw that she hasn't covered in her brainscape that i can point to and be like hey Nah, look at him. He's a pretty good fellow. Kind of. (laughs) Uh, 26. That does it. What do you see? A good question. I, oh, okay. I think as Ignacia's moving in and looking, there's still that, despite the iciness that's flowing around them, there's a warmth to his eyes, like a calm, soft gaze. And um, I think she's like, Look, his eyes, don't you see how warm they are when they look at you? Do you see how soft they are when they peer to you? He cares about you deeply. And she looks up at him. She's been sort of, you know, buckling down to walk against the wind. And she looks up at him. And as she does, as they make eye contact, the wind drops out. And the ice melts off of him. But he's completely dry. And he's sitting there, unable to speak, just overcome with, with love, staring at this woman that he's about to marry. And she rushes over to him, wraps her arms around him, and says, Oh, William. And as she does, you see that she's hugging nothing. And there's nothing there. There's no sitting room. There's no ice, there's no snow. There's only the red mist. And she sort of startled, looks around and says, well, and then you all hear it. From the depths of the mist, you hear this echoing, horrible sound that sounds like a mixture of laughing and sobbing and blood gurgling out of a throat at the same time. And she, immediately drops to the ground and covers your ears and says, no, 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 no. All of you instinctually do the same thing and cover your ears, not remembering what she said before. And as you do, instead of blocking it out, it seems like covering your ears is just trapping the sound inside your head. And all of you have this headache that splits you apart. The laugh stops, you can't think, you can't move. 
and suddenly all of you are back at the worst moment of your life. Who'd like to go first? It's obviously, it's the day James wakes up and realizes his mom's gone. Um, so yeah, James is just kind of reliving those those initial moments of, of the realization that his mom is, is gone. You know, it's just him and his dad now. And it's just, but it, I think it's just amplified, you know, like every feeling he has is amplified more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just, he he's just mostly wrecked with just sadness and um you know a little bit of the understand miss of not being able to understand it and anger and i think he just he feels really isolated too you know um i mean even though his, his dad's there he feels in this moment he feels really really alone ignacia's reliving the part of her life where she walked in and saw that her abuela was dead she knew it was coming. She knew that the woman that raised her and loved her because her parents died before she even got a chance to know them. Um, just seeing, walking in and having that realization that she's gone hits her. And she has her cousins and, you know, other various people in the community, but the woman that raised her and loved her like her own is is just gone and she's just suddenly feeling alone for agnes it actually wasn't that long ago um it was in all honesty having a conversation with a corpse and she hasn't really had the time to or well, she's had the time she hasn't had the willpower let's say to examine exactly why it was so traumatic for her but she had never felt as powerless as she did talking to a dead body that was using a voice uh, that she is growing more and more familiar with in the worst way possible Um, and it's a combination of feeling completely powerless and also just feeling like a fool. Cause that's kind of Agnes's worst nightmare is feeling foolish, feeling humiliated and just feeling like there's so much that she, she doesn't know. And everybody else knows that, but her. And so, and also, I mean, it's just, it's scary to, to talk to a dead person, let alone somebody who had been such a, you know, a threatening figure in her life, probably the most threatening figure in her life, yeah, up to that moment. Uh, and for all of, like for all of her father and her brother being surgeons and being acquainted with death, that's one area where she's just she hasn't really had to face it head on, and she knows that that day is coming. You nobody goes forever without having to suffer a loss being in a morgue well that's a reminder that everyone's going to have to face it someday so it's Finn's turn um so um when when Finn decided to 
leave the gang that he was running with, it was because he had met someone and had spent some time while laying low after probably a, a job that they had done. Um, so that he and the gang had done, he, he met up with this person who just sort of changed everything in his life. Um, and it was the only time in his life that he could remember um, that was happy, that was hopeful. And this person was the reason for it. And uh, they had decided that they were going to run. They were going to, he was going to leave the gang. He was going to leave that life. He was going to go back with Sulin to um, San Francisco. And they had made it to a small town. He was out getting supplies and uh, came back to the in that they were staying in or the the saloon that had the the room upstairs and he something was off he saw some people or saw, saw a person in the street that he were that reminded him of something it's something was off and so he kept went faster went through the doors and uh just smelled that something was off went up the stairs and when he got to the room and opened the door he saw that sulin had been killed was not a very pleasant sight and he knew that he knew who had done it a uh, calling card kind of situation was left and Finn didn't react well and went on sort of a vengeance streak for a little bit and then that's kind of what led to him kind of going into the whole life of drugs at that point. Uh, he fell into opium to try to block it all out and ended up trying to trying to end it all after that. Um, but the the moment that, that he walked through those doors, even though he knew what had happened, he sensed it going up the stairs. He sensed it before the door opened, but just seeing it, it just he had wished that there was no hope ever given at that point. Um, and then that that image just was seared into his mind and that's the thing that he tried to remove from his mind for all the year you know to all the time he spent in drugs but yeah it was that that was the moment and for beatrice it's her seeing the frantic doctors and nurses outside of her mother's room hearing her mother and then going in to find her barely conscious, um, sobbing, and her father sobbing, and these people who she thought were just so, so strong and so perfect and so invulnerable, just destroyed. And she had been so excited to be a big sister, so ready to, to help take care of a brother or a sister and then to find out that it was going to be both but then it was neither seeing her mom there so so pale so so near death and all of you experience all of these things together you're you're experiencing each other person's worst simultaneously and as you're experiencing that you're also still in the red mist. You're experiencing these six things at once. 
And from the red mist, you see this figure step out. And Agnes, it's a figure you've seen before. But for the rest of you, it's this figure in formal attire, long tails, blood red cravat, cane with a ruby on top, and a masquerade mask with lesions and boils all over its face that contorts and twists with the facial expressions underneath, you assume. And it says, you two idiots. And it walks over, none of you can move, you're trying to, but you can't. James, it walks over to you, raises a hand and you get pulled up without it touching you. It says, you little stonemason, so strong out there and so worthless in here, still wanting to impress your stupid, weak, dead mommy who I killed. And with just a flick of its wrist, it throws you to the side like a rag doll. Agnes, it snaps its fingers and you're brought up as well. And it says, and you little skeptic, too cowardly to embrace your own power. You just hover there. And then it turns to Beatrice and says, and you, you frightened little husk. And she's brought up into the air too and starts to get pulled towards it. She's sobbing, but you can't hear her. And it says, how does it feel to know that all you ever were is just a trap? And as she comes within range, it slaps her across the face and sends her spiraling off, completely limp. She stops making any sounds instantly. Agnes, it turns back to you and says, now then skeptic, and you see its mask turn into this horrible smile this impossibly large smile with these sharp teeth. Skeptic, you and your power and everything you're afraid of, it's mine. But I've been watching. I think there are others here with you. Maybe two more? I can't see them. I see their effects. You and the little stonemason couldn't have done this yourselves, now could you? And you find yourself able to speak. I say, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, skeptic. What are the odds you know two of the Immaculate? Well, when I'm in your mind, I'll look around for what I can't see and what I can see through you. Maybe you've written their names somewhere. Maybe you've drawn. Maybe you'll take up drawing once your mind's skeptic. We'll find out. I've never much been one for the arts, personally. No, you'll find you're able to do all sorts of things when I'm inside of your brain. But stonemason, Perhaps you'll tell me, and you find yourself dragged over towards him. Well, Mr. Wilcox, 
whose mind should I explore first, yours or hers? As he focuses on, on those two, Finn and Ignacia, you find yourselves able to move and able to act again. I mean, James would say, I mean, he, he would offer himself up first. <laughs> he would say, you can try mine first. He says, you give yourself to me freely? Ignacia's like getting up and hearing that. She's like, like, don't, don't you dare. Don't you agree with that? Stop. And I, said, I said you could try. So from the mist, you hear a woman's voice. And she says, don't say another word. And from out of this mist, a wolf comes running. All of you can see it directly behind the Red Death, barreling towards it. And Ignacia, you recognize this wolf and you recognize the voice. It's the one from your dreams. It's the same one that's spoken to you many, many, many times. And James, you recognize the voice too. It's your mother's. I mean, my mama told me not to talk, so I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. So the wolf is still barreling, and then the Red Death says, Fine. Stonemason is useless anyway. Well, goodbye, skeptic. You've been fun to, and as it says that, this wolf crashes into it, and the figure actually gasps in, in what you can only imagine is fear. And the wolf just starts tearing at it, and this figure is down on the ground, not knowing where these blows, these bites, these slashes are coming from. And it's just moving faster than you think something could move. James and Agnes, you're both dropped back to the ground. What do you do? I know what I want to do, but it's maybe stupid. But I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to try to. Uh, which is while the wolf is tearing into him. Mm -hmm. And his, his face is essentially, it's a mask, you said, right? Yes. I want to tear that shit off his face. As best I can. If I'm still as strong as I was previously in this world. Okay. Uh, make an attack roll with disadvantage because this wolf is going to fucking town on this guy. Cool. The first one was 15. Okay. Uh, the second one was 14. Okay. 15 was what you needed. All right. Oh, well... Um, gosh, I wish there was a way I could help that. Um, I mean, yeah, James, James is not well off and I don't know if he's not too beneficial. So I don't know. I, I have an idea. I don't know if it'll work or how I want it to work, but let me know. Um, basically seeing this wolf of my dreams come here and attack i think ignacia feels some sort of energy just rejuvenate within her and i think she's gonna grab the topaz it has a healing spell in stored in it so i don't know how it's gonna affect the situation but she kind of wants to heal this area in general okay like he'll beatrice here he'll just pour positive energy and like 
good energy into this area and hopefully to rid of the situation. Okay. So I don't know how you want to play that, but that's kind of what I'm aiming for. Yeah, cast that shit. All right. So I said I had a. It's just a mass healing word, honestly. So it's like a. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's just a 1d4 plus a spellcasting ability modifier, so. Okay. Wow, great. Thanks, Dice. Um, it's like, I don't want my dice. Uh, so that's five points of healing, just. Okay. Yeah. So everybody feels a little bit better. You see the figures manage to land a couple blows on the wolf, and you see one of them heal up. You see the the well-dressed figure on the ground flinch in pain as this spell hits um but as it does it manages to get its two hands free and it claps and there's this incredibly loud blast and all of you are knocked back five feet including the wolf um as you try to move back in there seems to be this this force surrounding it um and from the middle stands up, brushes itself off, adjusts its mask, takes its cane back up, and says, well, another time then, when you're not all together. Three immaculate, all three, all here, soon then, sooner than I thought and it vanishes. You look around you and suddenly it's this neutral space. It's not red, there's no mist. It's just blank. I'm gonna go run and check on Beatrice. Okay. She's dazed, she's okay. Um, the She's been healed a little bit, but she's pretty banged up. Um, I'm heading over to the wolf. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going up and kneeling uh, kind of in front of the wolf. Yeah. So, as you start walking over to her, the wolf stands up back onto its two hind legs and you see it transform into your mother. Oh yeah, James is just just falling into a hug and just sobbing pretty uncontrollably. She's holding you. She's sobbing, too. And she says, Jamie. Jamie. Yeah. um, I mean, James is just... Just... Saying... I mean, just... I miss you. And... Oh, my God. Um, I mean, it's it's a lot of nonsense, really. Just... (laughs) Like, I miss you, and where did you go? I mean, just, but all through just just chest-heaving sobs. And, I mean, he's just holding on as, as hard as he can. with And just, I mean, just not want to let go. Just, that's the immediate reaction. He, he's, I mean, he's, he's just so, I mean, joyful, really. And he's also devastated at the same time because he knows this isn't going to last. So he's just soaking up as much of it as he can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she says, I had, you know that I had to go, right? Do you understand that now? 
I need for you to understand that. And he's like, yeah, I know. I, I, under, I, I do. I understand. That thing, it, it found me. And if it found you, it, if it thought it could hurt me by getting to you, it, it would have. And I just couldn't. It would tear you apart to make me come back, and it would have worked. Even this, I've put you in so much danger, but it's sort of, she waves her hand around, she says, but you've put yourself in some danger. Oh, Jamie, you're so brave. You're so wonderful. You're, I mean, that's, I mean, James, there's a lot that James wants to say. I mean, James, he wants, I mean, there's a part of him that wants to be angry and just be mad at her for leaving because, I mean, he, 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 he resorts back to the person he was the day she left. And like that, I mean, and that, that person, it's, unforgivable you know no matter what you left you 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 walked out on us yeah but then there's the part of him that's gone through everything even just in the past few minutes that knows that had she not he he'd be dead uh, and his father would probably be dead um i mean it's just a big mixture of emotions and he doesn't really i mean <laughs> he doesn't know what to say at this moment like this is a moment he's thought about for years. If for some reason he ever got to see his mom, you know, I would. Here's the things I would say. Here's the things I would want to know. And you know, here's all this stuff I'd want to tell you. But in this moment, the reality that he's there with her, and I mean, he just he saying anything feels wrong just i mean it's just you he's taken this this gift that he has and, and he doesn't want to ruin it in any way by saying anything so she she says i have to go but i'm closer than you think but it it still thinks i'm dead and so it needs to still think that I'm dead. And so out of here, it has eyes everywhere. But one day, soon, when we kill this thing, there'll be plenty of time. She hugs you. She kisses you on the forehead. She wraps her arms around you. And you realize that she's much stronger in here than she was in the real world. And then you realize that you're not holding anyone anymore. And she's gone. I think he turns around and he looks at just whoever's there. And he says, um, we figure out how to kill this thing. No matter what it takes. 
he just kind of walks off past everyone into the void. I don't know. So as you start walking away, another door appears. And it's the massive doors to the church that you came into today. I think James just goes straight through it. Okay. So they don't open, but they open. Yeah, James is out. I will follow so long as Beatrice is ready to go. Yeah, Ignacia helps beat Beatrice to her feet and support her. She needs support. Yeah, so unless there are any objections, I assume everybody heads out and follows. Yeah, Sawyer goes last. Okay. So you come out and you're in the room where you ran into before, this room upstairs from the church. You all look around and the strange thing is that you see yourself, but not one of the other people who are there. Beatrice is standing there in her wedding gown. You all see her. She's a little worse for the wear. Li Jing and Charlotte Han are, are there supporting her, but it's also clear that they've had to hit her a few times in the, while she was possessed. And so while she's sort of dazedly looking around, Li Jing is quickly casting a few spells behind her back to heal her before she can figure out what's going on. And she keeps muttering, what happened? I must have hit my head. I, I had this dreadful nightmare, but oh. <clears throat> but everything's fine now, right? She looks around and looks at the four of you. Says, "Oh, sister, it's so kind of you to to come up and check on me. Thank you. Oh, your Agnes, your dress is lovely." Is there a chair in the room somewhere? There is. I sit in it. Okay. I just need to sit down for a moment. Sawyer lights a cigarette. Sawyer, as you reach into your coat pocket, you realize that you're not wearing a jacket. And you run your hand across a dress and look down and then look up across at the mirror and see that you're staring back at Agnes. Agnes, in a moment of confusion, you look around and you see yourself looking into the mirror, look down at your hands and see these gigantic bear-like paws. Glance over into the mirror and see James staring back at you. James, you look around, find yourself looking a bit more like Ignacia than usual. And Ignacia, you, as if by instinct, reach into your jacket pocket, pull out a cigarette, and with a trembling hand, light it. The Red Death is Morgan Nuncio as Ignacia, Cleo Yansu Davis as Agnes, Tim Devine as Finn Sawyer, Kent Blue as James, and Doug Lewandowski as the Game Master. 
The Red Death is part of the Role to Play Network. It is edited, produced, and hosted by Kent Blue. Discover more at RollToPlayNetwork.com And do join us next time. If you And I think we'll pause there for the session in case, unless anybody else has anything they'd like to say to quip our way out of here. We've been freaky Friday. Well, that's unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> My best Sawyer accent. <laughs> <laughs>